I recently listened to an interview with a maverick psychologist who worked for many years with schizophrenic prison inmates. He tried to understand more about the voices they were hearing in their heads and he came to two key insights. Uh, the voices were constantly negative and they were always trying to cause negative feelings and harm for his patients. And second, um, the current explanation of chemical imbalances causing the voices cannot be correct because in many cases the voices were showing intelligent behavior and were revealing information that was not available to his patients. So he thinks the voices were caused by non-physical entities, but he is afraid to talk about his conclusions openly as he would probably lose his job. How would you interpret the voices schizophrenics hear in an MBTT context? And is direct and violent interference with the thought processes of another being a violation of free will? Okay. The voices could have you know, more than one source. But one of those possibilities of those voices indeed is negative entities. Um, you know, hearing voices is not all that. You don't have to be diagnosed schizophrenic to hear voices. You know, there's probably tens of thousands of people who have guides who they talk to, you know, in, in language, and they they hear that as a as a voice. Actually, they get it telepathically. And when somebody says, "I hear a voice," does that mean they actually hear a voice, or does that mean they're getting a telepathic communication? That's a little hard to tell. It's how you describe it. I heard, you know, I heard this, you know, I talked to my guides and they told me such and such. Well, how did they tell you that? It's like, well, I don't know. I, you know, I just got it. And we interpret our getting it as hearing it because that's our interpretation because that's the way we, you know, that's the way we get things. So we make that interpretation whether that's what happened or not. Um, so they're getting these, these voices. And one answer could be negative entities. In this case of schizophrenia, where it's always a negative influence. There could be other, there could be other things, you know, the person themselves may have a, an issue and this would be, um, you know, that, that individual consciousness, you know, it may have an issue to where it is conflicted with a, a need to be two different ways. You know, I have a need to be a, a good person and, and mind my own business and do these things, but that's really not me, you know. I really would like to, you know, act up and, and do other kinds of things. That's more what I want to do, but I know that's not right to do, so I suppress that. So they may have kind of bifurcated their own their own being or their own consciousness, if you will, into um, you know, compartments where they can interact with each other. So that could be called voices and schizophrenia. You know, what do we call that? A split personality or something where uh, they may not call that schizophrenia. They may call that something else. But there's that thing, too, which is a, a function of the consciousness itself. There may be uh, problems with the rule set, I suspect, where the brain doesn't function. Brain chemistry doesn't work right. And the individual has a hard time interpreting the messages they get and some messages that they that they get that fall outside of their beliefs they then interpret as coming from someone else 
You say it's not not them because it's not comfortable for them to think of it as theirs. And then they kind of personalize that because it makes them feel better. So it could be a fear and ego trip. So there's lots of things that could create this. But certainly one of them is negative entities just having a little fun, jerking somebody around because chaos is something they like. It's what they do. Negative entities often enjoy and their 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 pleasure. They're they're having a good day when they can create uh, dysfunction and chaos. So that's certainly uh, you know if, if I had to look at what percentage of them would be one or the other, I really don't know. But I suspect there's more of the negative entity interference than what we would than what we would think. That's probably a major player. Uh, as opposed to say, uh, you know, a a, uh, a consciousness that's kind of bifurcating to the things that 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 uh, agree with his uh, beliefs and the things that don't agree with his beliefs, and he turns those into two different beings, even though it's just him not wanting to deal with with the opposites in himself. That uh, is probably more of the minority case than the uh, than the majority case, just because that's a harder, more difficult process to get to get into than having a, a negative being uh, telling you things just to just to jerk you around and watch you squirm. Um, could you just address quickly the aspect of the free will that it's kind of an interference with free will if a negative entity uh, kind of talks in your own head? Yes, the negative entities are not allowed to force you to do something, that would be a violation of your free will. But they can encourage, they can, uh, they can nudge, if you will, they can encourage you to think or interpret in a given way. And that is not against the rules. And it's done on both sides. There are the positive as well as the negatives that can, that can do that. Now, the positives generally don't do it so much and are not so pushy at it unless they have a very particular person that they're they're working with trying to help them see and interpret the right way and do the right thing. But uh, for the most part, uh, the positives tend to do that with a very light touch. Let the person, the person has to do it on their own, you see, or it doesn't really help them grow up any if they're not doing it on their own. So the negatives, of course, they're just trying to cause trouble. So that's more of a heavy handed touch because they're not really trying to accomplish anything other than create, you know, uh, more entropy. So you do get a, a heavier hand, but both sides do that. And it's a nudge. It's an encouragement. It's putting ideas into somebody's head, but it never forces them to make a particular choice. So it doesn't really affect their free will. It just puts some bad choices right up in front of them that otherwise maybe they wouldn't have thought of or done on their own, but uh, those possibilities now become more apparent and it's more likely perhaps that they'll choose choose badly. So it's not a, it's not really against the rules because it's not forcing. It's uh, it's allowed to to uh, to nudge. Now maybe that should be against the rules, but uh, It's not. Nudging goes back a long way. You know, nudging is a is a very positive thing in many ways. Many many of us, our growth is nudged along. You know, we get kind of pushed this way. We have this um, what's it called synchronicity, 
where things just happen. You know, the, you walk through a library one day and a book almost jumps off the shelf at you, just grabs your attention and you look at it and wow, it's something that changes your life. You know, there's all this synchronicity going on. Well, that's being nudged. You know, we're, we're getting these nudges to help us see things and, and uh, people have paranormal experiences just out of the blue and that's a nudge to open up their mind. So it, it goes on in a positive way, which means it can also go on in a negative way. Uh, that's just the way the system has of, of helping us along. And then, of course, it gets abused by negative entities that uh, drag it back some. So if you get rid of one, you'd have to get rid of both. And I suspect that's that's uh, not going to happen. You know, it's just going to be that way. So, yeah, these negative entities can do that. And uh, now if a person had no no fear if a person was was um, had a strong uh, let's say uh, a strong personality they were uh, uh, not complete not driven so much by fear and ego and belief then they would be a very hard target they'd be very difficult for a negative entity to do anything with them what the negative entity can deal with is existing fears, existing ego. So if you have somebody with a real big ego and a lot of fear, well, that's somebody that negative entities can play with very easily, with with very minor nudging. They can create havoc. Whereas if you have somebody who has very little fear and very little ego, negative entity just leaves them alone because there's 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 no handle to grab them by. So it's your own fear that creates the handle for that sort of thing happening. I get the same uh, questions about people going out of body and they say, well, if I go out of body, can't some, some entity, you know, do something to me and, you know, might I get hurt out there and all these awful things will happen. And it's the same answer. If you have a lot of fear, then that's a handle by which you can be manipulated. If you don't, then you're pretty much invulnerable to that sort of thing. It doesn't work with you. It won't stick. You see, somebody comes up and nudges you to do something that is really wrong. You just look at it and say, no way, you know, I'm not going to do that. But if you're on the verge of doing that very wrong thing and they come up and say, yeah, go ahead. It'll be all right. Do it. Be important. Then you do it. You see, so it, it, that's the that's the difference. So how do you protect yourself? Grow up, you know, get rid of your fear, get rid of that ego, and then you become much less vulnerable. So you could think of it, Oliver, almost in, a, in another uh, way of uh, it's a it's a, it's another it's another impetus, another uh, push to grow up. Another reason, another good reason to grow up is that the fear stuff can't uh, can't really manipulate you or touch you. So you might even argue that it's not all bad. You know that there's some. There's some good to it, but I I would say that's a very small that's that's a very small uh, uh, silver lining around a rather massive dark cloud. But anyway, it uh, it's there. It's not uh, it's not a violation of our of our uh, free will. It just uh, helps us, encourages us to do things that that are poor choices. Okay, thank you, um, Justin. Who is next? I'll ask one of my questions since it's somewhat related to what we're talking about. It has to do with channeling. 
many of the explorers working with Bob Monroe began channeling other entities. Could you discuss how this process differed from your own at the time? And as a follow-up question, do you have any general advice or input for somebody that wanted to experiment with channeling? Uh, sure. Yeah, I did a lot of that there with uh, at Monroe's as well. You know, I had uh, that was one of the things Bob had us do. He had us go out of body and then uh, ask some questions. Or actually, first you put out an intent that says something to the effect of "I only want to talk to entities who." are much more knowledgeable than I am and who have my best interests. And by best interest, we meant uh, my growth, my best interests of uh, reducing entropy, if you will, uh, at their, at, as their motivation, their hearts. In other words, these are helping entities that want to help and that have the ability to help. And that's all you really want to talk to. Or you have to work out exactly the words you want, like a lawyer, so that you don't uh, leave any loopholes for uh, some entity to, uh, you know, and interact with you that you, you let open because you gave a very broad statement that didn't cover everything. But Bob had one of those statements. I don't remember it now, but that was one of the things that we would say. They, I think they're called an affirmation. So you make one of those up and you say it, and then you kind of just wait and see what happens. So you've just opened the door for any entity that would, that would be helpful to you and help your understanding and help your growth uh, to contact you, which is an open invitation to the larger conscious system to, you know, to uh, be of help, to uh, connect with you in some way. And almost always when we did that, it wasn't long before some entity would appear and start up a conversation. And then it was up to us to steer that conversation the way, you know, that interested us because we had certain things that Bob had kind of put in our heads that we wanted to, you know, work on. We were working on on, uh, you know, verification and learning, you know, the, the mechanisms of how all this worked and other such things. So the questions usually were, were of that sort. And uh, then at the end, he'd always uh, suggest that we ask something like, is there anything else you want to tell us? You know, do you have anything that, you know, I didn't bring up that you'd like, you know, any message you'd like to impart to, to uh, any of us here? And often they did. So that's a simple process to to do, and anybody can do that. But I would say first get a good affirmation, and you can go use the one that Monroe uses. That's I don't know. It's probably public. If not, they probably share it with you. You know, it's a general affirmation. But uh, it's an easy thing to do. You just go. You say your affirmation, which limits what you're willing to interact with, and open yourself up. When you do, you have to open without any idea of what you might get. If you have any expectations whatsoever, your expectations will get in the way. They'll lead it. They'll cause you to interpret it along whatever it is you you, uh, expect. So the key is to have no expectations. You're just open. You're an open receiver. That's all. And the... Second key is that you don't judge immediately. You just listen, interact, ask your questions, get the information. Often you'll say, do you mind if I contact you again if it, looked, if it seemed like it was a, a pretty uh, useful connection? Almost always you'll get a yes, 
And you can ask, well, how should I do that? And almost always they'll say, well, just think of me. You know, they don't generally deal in names and, you know, addresses and things like we do. So you'll get that. And you can ask them all sorts of questions. And the stuff that they really, if you say, well, where should I put my stock? You know, I've got $10,000 I'd like to invest. Where's the big winner? They're not going to answer you. If they do, I wouldn't trust it. They're just having fun with you. You know, they might be making jokes. So um, it's an easy, easy thing to do. The mistake people make are two. One, they have an expectation of what they're going to get. I'm going to hear a voice. Well, it's telepathy. You don't really hear a voice as you get information that you interpret. The second thing is uh, to not get a voice is a failure. So now they've, they've got a problem. You know, they've set up a, an anxiety that's a problem. To not get a voice needs to be okay, too. You see, you're just open. You may get something, you may not. You said your affirmation, you've got your intent, and your intent is something good and useful for your growth and the growth of others. So you've got all the bases covered, and then you just open yourself up and see what happens. Now, if a little something happens, you don't immediately jump into the, what was that? Did I just make that up? You see, if you get into that, if you, if you immediately start judging the quality of it or where it came from, then you're lost. You need to just go with it. Have the conversation. Do the interaction. And after you've done this interaction with this being, you know, dozens of times, then you need to make the judgment. Is this information valuable? Is it helping me? Is it useful? Am I growing from it? And if the answer is no, you've got two things. You can either then go visit that being anymore. That's not useful. Or two, you can say, maybe I'm asking the wrong questions. Maybe I'm not getting the right, you know, maybe I'm not getting the right message. I'm not getting the right answer because I'm not asking the right question. And then change your questions around. But after you've tried the your questions from every angle that you think is useful, you still come away thinking that I haven't really learned much that's much use, then let it go. That's not a, a viable connection. And if you get something that really is good, it makes you think, and after you've thought about it a while, you learn something because it's kind of triggered your, your, your mind, then go with that and keep doing it. After you've done this for a long enough time, you'll get a sense for what's outside of you and what's inside of you. Because what's inside of you isn't really anything new. It's, it's really already there. What's outside of you, you will sense as thoughts and ideas and concepts that just, just aren't, you know, aren't yours. They're just things you never would have come to or thought of. Then that feels like it's outside of you. But in a bigger sense, the question is, does it matter? If you get something that's useful, does it matter where it comes from? If you talk to yourself and you learn something really important for your growth, is that a bad thing? You know, or if you talk to some entity out there and you don't learn anything useful, is that a good thing? You say it doesn't really matter. So this idea of who was it, what was it, was it me or not, that becomes an issue of ego, you know. Ego wants to know. They want to categorize it. They want to know. They want to give you a gold star. Well, okay, it was an entity. It was outside of you, and this and that, and it tells this stuff. Okay, I get a gold star. You know, I did it, and you put your gold star up. That's not really all that useful. It's 
it's, you know, is this a value? If it is, pursue it. If not, let it go. So most people don't do that. They have this idea right away. They want to judge, is that me? Am I just talking to myself? And after, I don't know, 10, 15, 20 hours of conversation, which means multiple times, you can make that judgment. But the further down you get down, or the further you go down that road, the less that judgment you know, really matters to you. It's more a matter for your own growth and your own understanding than it is for anything really you know, significant. So you, and you will get a sense, this is outside of me. I mean, I've gotten things that were just so totally clear that they weren't me because it just wasn't anything that was, that was in me that I would have thought of. It just comes from outside. And there's other times when eh, that could have been me. You know, I could have said that. You know, if I looked at it from a different way than I normally look at it, I could have come to that conclusion. And eventually you really don't care anymore. It doesn't make any difference. But you can get these conversations started easily. I can't think of, of very many people in the lab that had any difficulty creating connections with non-physical beings, even if you were one of them. You know, it's just an easy thing to do. Just don't judge it, don't block it, just go with it until you've got enough hours in that you can make a good judgment and then realize the judgment really ought to be how useful it is, not, not where it's coming from. Besides that, you will know, you will have an intuitive sense of whether it's coming from inside you or outside you. That will come with time, but you don't know that the first 10 words that are said, and it's impossible to determine that from the first 10 words that are said. Or even the first, you know, thousand words that are said. You can't make that judgment. So that's an easy thing. And we call that channeling because you're getting information from somebody else who's non-physical, right? That's called a channel. And uh, it's a simple thing to establish. It's not, uh, it's not a hard thing to do at all, but it always helps to first get the point consciousness or somewhere close in that direction. So you, you're, you're not confusing that with the chatter going on in your head. The chatter will get in the way. Open yourself, no expectations, and no analysis until much later. And I think almost everybody should be successful at it. An easy thing to incorporate. Now, many of us, when they do that the very first time, even though they try to have no expectations and no fears, they have both. They have an expectation of what it's going to be like and what they're going to say and what they might find out. And they've got all this stuff going on. And at the same time, they've got a fear that it's just going to be coming out of their own head and they're going to be fools for, you know, for paying attention to it and this sort of thing. And they got this, that's a cultural fear, right? That none of this really is true and it doesn't make any sense. And now they are acting silly, you know, trying to contact non-physical beings and that's kind of ridiculous of its own. So they got a fear that it might actually happen and a fear that it might not. So they're boxed in on all sides with fear, you know, and that then gets in the way and they say, well, I, you know, I never got anything. Well, partly because they were afraid to get something and they were afraid not to get something. So it's a, it doesn't work under those conditions, but that's a typical person with typical fear and beliefs that come out of our culture. That's the only hard thing about it. You know, I, I keep saying that it's easy, it's easy, but it's not easy in the sense that you've got the stuff 
that you get from your culture that makes it difficult to let go of. Right. That's that's really helpful. Thank you. I, I had one question that's kind of related, and I and I have a feeling of what your answer is going to be, but I like to ask it anyway, just so that it provides some insight maybe to me. Uh, as far as the sort of things we're talking about, you know, contacting other beings or having experiences and other other realities uh, than this one, it, it seems to me that when I'm working with point consciousness and trying to say contact another entity or remote view something, it feels more like a more of a mental process uh, as if it's taking place in my own mental landscape, I guess you'd say. Whereas other times, and, and in that case, a lot of the chatter gets in the way or I, I, I can sense it bubbling up. Whereas other times if I wake up and have a, a spontaneous experience where I, I'm instantly somewhere else and it's quote unquote real and I'm interacting with other beings or other, you know, other personalities that seem to be independent of myself. And that I could actually have tel- uh, telepathic conversations and and things. It's almost like I'm. It may, may be a belief that my physical body gets in the way, but I feel like I don't have as many limitations as as I do when I'm trying to accomplish those same same things uh, from a point consciousness state where there is no lapse in consciousness. Does that make sense? Yeah, and there's two things going on there. Two possibilities. One. It may, may be just as you say. It may be in these cases where it's spontaneous and, and natural that you're more connected, you have less noise, and therefore your, your connection is a, is a, is a uh, better one. But it may also be that you believe that if you're not in this still, quiet space where it's all, you know, where you're there and you're completely detached from the rest of it, that, you know, that's the real state. And the one where you're more in an intellectual space that's the fake state that doesn't work very well. And if you believe that, then you'll have a real hard time ever learning to parallel process. You see, because when you parallel process, you can do several realities at once. And you can be aware of you know, reality A, which may be your physical reality, and also be aware of reality B. And it will very much feel like a intellectual process. But the process is, is a cognitive one but it's taking place at the being level. Your being level can be aware at both places, you see, and it can be perfectly um, low, you know, low noise, good signal, but it's not this pure, you know, it's happened, I'm all alone in this space and it's all focused. So part of your problem may just be a belief that if you're not in that totally consumed intensity space, then it's not as real. And if you have that belief, then you, it will never be as real and you won't trust the stuff that comes that way. And you won't, when you start going that way, you'll say, oh, this is just the, you know, this is the crappy state. I got to get into this real state. And now you've limited yourself by defining what a real state is and anything else that conflicts with that isn't a real state. And now you've just walled yourself into that experience only, you see. So you have to, I did that for a while. You know, I, I had that. Similar kind of thing. When I first started uh, working at Bob Monroe's, I thought that the, that the truth laid on the other side of the fog. And first you get in this meditation state where you get deeper and deeper and less and less attached to the physical world. And it's like falling asleep in a way, but staying awake. So you, you work with this, this very deep 
thing where it was very unitary. It's just you, just your consciousness and nothing else. And then you went someplace. And I first, you know, I call that the fog. You know, first you have to get into the fog where you're just barely conscious. And then you kind of slide out of that fog and do things. But that fog kind of separates you from this physical world where all the noise and stuff is. So you always had to pass through the fog to get there. And then I realized that that was just a belief of mine, that I, that the two were inseparable. And unless it was the unitary experience on the other side of the fog, it wasn't real. And I realized that's not the case. You can parallel process and you can have lots of noise and things going on. But if it's all going on at the being level, it all works just as well. And that's really very liberating because then suddenly you can be someplace noisy, busy, you know, things going on, even carrying on a conversation and part of you can go off and do something else and it doesn't interfere because you don't have to first go through the fog and be in that quiet, still spot first. That can become a habit. So it may be that that's the way it is and your intellect uh, not your being level, but your intellect is starting to reassert itself and it's getting noisy. So just what you think may be exactly the way it's happening, or it might just be the way that you are believing that it is and constructing it to be that way. And that's the way it is. So just work with it. Sometimes when you get that, I'm not in, I didn't go through the fog. I'm just in this clear, like an intellectual space. Go ahead and do it anyway and see how it works. See how effective you are from there. And then you might surprise yourself. That's kind of the way I did it. I, I thought, well, let's just see what happens. I'm just perfectly awake, just like you know I am here in a you know a beta state and physical reality. I'm just awake. Let's see how it works when I'm in that state. And it worked. It worked about as well as when I went through the fog, you know. And I was like, aha, you know, I get it. You know, it's the intent. I can I can operate at my being level with a being level intent without having gone through the fog first. Very liberating. Suddenly there was another whole, you know, area of, of uh, ability and, and experience that was available to me that wasn't when I had to pass through the fog first. When you pass through the fog first, you got to lie down or sit up. you got to be in a comfortable place. It has to be quiet. You need, you know, you need all this this rest of the stuff, you know, around, or you can't do it. And uh, I found out that really wasn't necessary. That was a belief of mine that I needed all that stuff to get into that state first. It's a pretty easy, you know, pretty easy uh, trap to get into. Uh, Tom, do yeah. you remember? So, sorry, j just one small question. Do you remember maybe the first, uh, first sign of, uh, well, is it was it was it just the results that gave it away that uh, you didn't have to go through the fog, or was it was there something else you noticed, some other difference uh, that gave it away that you are in the right state, even though you seem to be completely conscious, like in a normal day? It was. I think what what made me believe that it was a really good state, and I was just as effective in it, was the fact that it worked. You know, I think what the way it worked is that I got into a very clear state. You know, I went into the fog, but then the fog receded and I was in this very clear state. And I was parallel processing with the physical and that reality both. My thought was, well, I've lost it. You know, now I've, I've dropped out of the fog. I'm back here. You know, it doesn't work anymore. But then I thought, well, you know, if I still am connected just as well, even though I'm wide awake, 
particularly a white here, wouldn't that be nice? You know, that would be a really neat thing if I was that clear, because when you're in the fog, a lot of what you get is foggy. You kind of get foggy information and you see foggy things. You know, it's, it's not always as, as clear. Wouldn't it be nice if everything was just perfectly crystal clear? And I just decided to try it and see how it works. So I started to do the same things in the clear that I used to do in the fog. And it turned out it was just as effective in the clear as it was in the fog. And then I was able to parable process and a whole lot of other things opened up. So mostly it was just by experiment, which means, you know, what, 50, 100 times you have to do this and try it and see how it works and look at the results. And eventually then you, uh, you know, you realize that it's, it's, it's effective. You don't have to go through the fog first. You don't have to be in that, uh, that uh, state that uh, Justin was describing where it's, uh, it's, it's not one that he planned. It was just one that happened. And he's totally into it. It's an immersed state that you're in that in that moment. And somehow that seems like that would be the right thing. You know, that's better, but not necessarily true. It's mostly well, it was for me anyway. It was just a belief. No, nobody came out. Nobody came out and said, "Yes, you know, you're doing it the right way" or whatever. I didn't get a sign and see a, you know, see a flashlight or a burning bush or anything that uh, you know led me to think that that was that was the right way it was just by experiment just figure it out does it work i'm a pragmatist you know i'm a left brain guy that i have to see if it works you know does it work and is it reliable thank you yeah thank you tom that's that's a huge help for me i appreciate that uh let's see Polly, actually, do you want to, if you have your question handy, did you want to ask the one of uh, related to intellectually grasping or, you know, intellectually getting down to our fears? You know which one I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah, sure. I can ask oh. it. Okay. So my question is the importance of intellectually grasping the core and the underlying reasons for a fear. Um, is it necessary and or important to intellectually realize the core of uh, fears uh, and or the circumstances which may have led to creation of our fears? Or is the is intellectual understanding just a metaphor or a process by which we allow ourselves to get to, the, uh, to let go of the specific fears? Is intellect just trying to do something uh, uh, with such m metaphor or process, uh, while the main work is done ultimately uh, within the conceptual core of our being, uh, on the being, feeling, sensing level. Yeah, the answer to that is yes, you're right. Um, but what's effective for you depends on who you are. So if you're a very left-brain person, you may have to go through the intellect as a as a process, because otherwise it's not real for you. If the intellect doesn't run it, if it isn't logical, it doesn't exist. If you don't have that, that restriction, then you're absolutely right. It's, the intellect is just a tool that you're using to focus you at the being level to get rid of the fear. But all the action takes place at the being level, not at the intellectual level. The intellect becomes a, a, a tool for you that uh, enables you to, to do it. Thank you. Tom, I had a question uh, about this. Well, I'll just read it that way. It'll be simpler. 
Joseph Campbell also said that we should follow our bliss. Bashar, the channeled entity, suggests that one of the most important things that we can do is to follow our highest excitement. I interpret these phrases to mean that we should pay attention to those things that resonate with us and to allow our intuition to lead us. Can you discuss this idea in relation to my big toe? Do you agree that following our bliss or following our highest excitement is important and why? Well, yes, it is a, it is a, a good thing to do, but I'd come up with a, a, a little different reason why. And that is if you're following your bliss, if you're, if you're doing what feels right to you to do, then you're positive. Then you're, you're kind of looking forward, moving, moving on. If you're not, then you create problems. So following your, your bliss is a way of acting that doesn't create problems for yourself. Um, what I mean by that is if you are doing things that you really don't like, going ways that you don't think you know, are the way you should go, then you are at odds with yourself. You've got some negative stuff going on. You've got, um, you know, you're only half-hearted in your in what you're doing you're not really focused you're split up some of you wants to go this way some of you wants to go that way all of that stuff then is counterproductive so it's not so much that that uh, moving in the direction of your bliss is the solution as it is that not doing that creates problems you see it's the you're kind of looking at the other side of it so if you're not following your path, it just, you know, your path kind of rolls out in front of you, what you feel that you need to do and what you should do and where you are. If you follow that, then you're, you're whole, you're, you're with it. But if you don't follow that, you're conflicted. You've got negative stuff going on and that negative stuff then is a, is a problem. So follow your bliss is a good, is a good advice to avoid creating difficulties for yourself, avoid being conflicted. Avoid working from your from your intellect, and your intellect wants to do different things. You know, work at it from your being level because that's where you know that's where you, everything feels right. When you're working out of your being level, doing being who you are, what you are, rather than trying to be something other than you are, that's when you make progress. As long as you're acting as opposed to being, you're not making progress. So yes, in general, I. I kind of agree with that because if you're not doing it, you're creating trouble for yourself. That makes sense. Thank you. Uh, as, as you were saying that, I started to think of your analogy of uh, that we're all individual cells in a, in a larger, you know, biological system. And it kind of makes sense that if you're following your, your bliss or following the path that feels right, uh, you're kind of doing your part as, as the cell, you know, within a certain part of uh, the system, I guess. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. It does. See, the thing, the thing is that if you're following at the being level, then it feels good. If, you, if your intellect is trying to arrange what you do, if you're trying to think your way through the problem of being, then you're just going to mess yourself up. You see, if you, it's like there's certain, well, let's maybe put it another way. Let's say your relationships. If you have a relationship with your significant other, if you approach that from the intellect, what should I say and why should I say it? So that everything you say and do, there's some reason for manipulating that to be that way. Well, if I say this, then you know she'll do that or he'll do the other thing. And 
So everything is a is a is a um, manipulation. Everything is done for an intellectual purpose. Well, you know where that leads. <laughs> no place good, right? Because trying to manipulate everything with your intellect is just going to create problems. It isn't going to work because your intellect just isn't that smart. There's so many other dimensions going on that, that your intellect doesn't have the data to that you're just going to create problems. Whereas if you just work, you know, you just relate to the person authentically at the being level, then everything will work out much better than if you try to manipulate it. So it's a, it's a very similar kind of, of thing, you see, this, this uh, you know, going with your bliss sort of thing is, is not trying to manipulate it because we, we don't know all the details. We don't know all the facts. You can't make logical decisions, say, how you're going to interact with somebody because you only have 10% of the information because you don't know what's going on, how they interpret things and whatever else. Now, if you were playing both roles, if it was you talking to you, you could do a real good job because you know just exactly what you'd say that you'd like to hear. But when you're talking to somebody else and how, how they interpret it and where they're coming from and what their history and background and understanding is and so on, you just don't know. So you say the things that you think would work for you, and most of the time they don't work for the other person. So that's, you know, I, I kind of say it in different ways, but that's a very similar thing. It, it's be authentic, you know, live in the moment. Work from, you know, work from your heart, work from your empathy, just be who you are, and then you'll get feedback and let that feedback show you how you need to, to grow or to change rather than try to work from the head and intellectually work your way through problems. That's what left-brainers like to do, but that almost always gets them into trouble because we have so little of the data to be logical about things.